You're listening to Agile Next, the next generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte. Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile is heading to next. The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your Agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 5, July 14th, 2016. Today on the podcast, we have Steve Denning, a management consultant based in Washington, D.C., who is also the author of eight very popular books, including The Leader's Guide to Radical Management. Steve also writes a weekly column in Forbes on radical management and leadership storytelling. Steve, welcome to the show. Good to be here with you. We mentioned in your bio that you wrote a book called Radical Management. Can you explain what that concept is? This was a book that began as a a book about uh, high-performance teams and steadily evolved into a different way of running whole organizations. And uh, when we were discussing, well, what do we call this different way of running organizations, which is uh, different from pretty much everything is done in a traditional organization, uh, the publisher said, well, it sounds like radical management to me. And uh, that became the eventual title of the book. But the label radical management is uh, essentially a synonym for agile leadership, agile management, um, and uh, a whole family of practices which are really a different way of running organizations. And they are focused on uh, delivering value to customers. They are focused on continuous innovation. They are focused on uh, enabling the creative talents of the people who work in the organizations, and they are hugely profitable. And uh, so they are really the organizations of uh, today as well as the future, and they are steadily putting traditionally managed organizations out of business. So this is, I think, the biggest thing that's happening in the organizational world today. Uh, Still not widely known in general management, but as organizations go out of business faster and faster, executives are becoming increasingly aware of the challenge they're facing. And and Steve, in my work with uh, leadership teams and coaching organizations, I oftentimes find that they're asking me about, you know, what metrics should they be capturing and so on. What's your take on the most important metrics that organizations should be following? Well, the first step is to get clear on what is the goal of the organization. And I strongly believe uh, Peter Drucker's uh, 1954 insight that the goal of a commercial organization, the only valid goal is to create a customer. The purpose that private sector organizations exist is to create customers, create value for customers. That is the exact opposite of the widely held view in business that the purpose of an organization is to create shareholder value as reflected in the current stock price. So first step in measurement is to get clear on what is the purpose of the organization. Once you've got clear that it is to create a customer, the best currently available metric 
uh, for keeping track of that at a global level is the Net Promoter Score, which is used by probably about half of the organization today, not usually acted on, but certainly uh, a, a very sensitive and accurate measure of whether an organization is um, delivering value to customers and continuing to delight them. And uh, as there is now a large amount of information, it enables an organization to see uh, how it ranks with other organizations, either in the same sector or in different sectors. So you can see that organizations like uh, Apple or USAA are around about plus uh, 80% uh, when the top possible score is 100 and the, the worst possible score is minus 100, whereas banks, um, big banks, are typically in negative territory. So there's a huge difference between the kind of value that customers perceive themselves receiving from banks and what they receive from organizations like Apple. So it's a very sensitive measure. That's at the global level. And obviously, at individual level, you need to get down to what uh, individual products are doing, what individual teams are doing, and also keeping track of uh, um, time. Time is a huge factor that is uh, typically ignored in traditionally managed organizations. And so uh, value stream analysis to keep track of how time is being handled by the organization. All of those are supporting measures uh, to this overall goal of continuous innovation and delivering increasing value to customers. Steve, you bring up a really good point about the shareholder value versus um, developing customers. And if you ask a child, what is the purpose of a business? They're going to tell you right away that it's about, you know, you know, servicing customers, not the shareholders. A, a great example of this is my 18 year old niece is a business major, freshman in college, and she came out to visit Silicon Valley on her break. I took her to some companies and we were talking about this and she's now trying to reconcile this in her head because she's being told in her business classes about the shareholder value versus customer value. It seems pretty logical to me that without customers, a business can't survive. So how, how do we move businesses from thinking about performing for shareholder value versus actually delighting and building customers? The main argument is that shareholder value destroys value for shareholders, ironically. Um, the best way to destroy shareholder value is to pursue maximizing shareholder value as reflected in the stock price. Um, that um, even supporters of um, shareholder value, like the current issue of Economist admits that uh, it has uh, uh, created a license for bad conduct, skipping on investment, exorbitant pay, high leverage, silly takeovers, accounting shenanigans, and a craze for share buybacks currently running at $600 billion a year. That's from the supporters of shareholder value. So this is uh, not just the biggest idea in business today, it is, is the worst. Uh, and even Jack Welch has called it the dumbest idea in the world. So uh, it, it's often attacked on the grounds that it's um, immoral or it's um, inequitable, and it is certainly those things too. But the biggest uh, problem with it is that it doesn't make money. It is a way to destroy an organization in the most effective manner that we know how. As we've witnessed uh, multiple times in the 2000 dot-com crash and 2008 Lehman Brothers and all the scandals in between. Right, and the current example, uh, Valiant, uh, is, is typical. I mean, it's uh, 
written off by The Economist as a one-off um, um, aberration uh, where the, uh, the managers didn't understand uh, the McKinsey methodology of uh, correctly uh, assessing long-term shareholder value. But come on, I mean, the, the CEO is a, was a partner at McKinsey and half the, the, the C-suite uh, were former McKinsey partners. These were people who were steeped in the McKinsey theory of uh, assessing shareholder value. So this is, I mean, a living example where they um, basically saw the risks of uh, innovation and um, investing in the future, decided to cut all that out, um, buy the firm, uh, cut the staff, uh, raise the drug prices and cash in. Um, the only problem is it's kind of like cocaine. I mean, feels good in the short run, but not when the whole thing crashes. And uh, so, I mean, that's that's just an example of what happens when you systematically uh, adopt uh, shareholder value. But all, I mean, many, if not most, large organizations today publicly on corporations are um, playing the same game and uh, uh, following this very bad idea, the worst idea in the world, the dumbest idea in the world. So, Steve, could you give us some examples of corporations that are doing it well and, and are focused more on customer value? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, take, uh, I mean, uh, Apple and Amazon and Facebook and, uh, and Google, I mean, they have, uh, in the space of uh, 15 years, have accumulated uh, $1.5 trillion. I mean, they would be uh, examples of firms that are uh, delivering massive value to their customers and um, being rewarded by the stock market for doing so. Uh, when you compare that with firms like IBM or Hewlett Packard, basically uh, in the same sector but going down the drain because they, as the CEO of, uh, of IBM, Jeannie uh, Rometty, said uh, not so long ago, at the end of a, the day, this is about returning value to shareholders. Uh, but if you look at what's happened under her reign, uh, the share price has gone down by about 40%. So she's been doing the opposite of what she says she is trying to do. And until IBM, in fact, uh, refocuses on delivering value to customers, I mean, uh, my guess and prediction is that it will continue on this downward slide until it's broken up into pieces. IT has had a fair run with Agile for you know the last 15 years plus. Where do you see Agile going outside of the IT industry? Well, it's already gone outside the IT industry and has become a way of running the whole organization. I mean, what we're really talking about today are Agile organizations. I mean, uh, five, seven, eight years ago, People were really discussing, is Agile a better way to run a team? Today, that discussion is, is over. And the this discussion is really about how do we make the whole organization Agile? And the realization that you Agile at the team level, unless it's supported by an organization that's on the same um, page, the same wavelength, is going to be an organization in turmoil. And so the, uh, and the current discussion is about how to uh, achieve these agile transformations across the whole organization. So that's what we're uh, looking at in the uh, learning consortium. 
the Learning Consortium for the Creative Economy, a group of firms that are actually studying um, and learning from each other uh, how to make the whole organization agile. So Microsoft and Ericsson and Barclays and BMW and uh, Spotify uh, sharing what they are learning about what works and what uh, uh, doesn't work in this this agile transformation and and what we're seeing in this is that uh, it's not so much about a, a methodology or a practice or a system uh, it's at root it's a different mindset fundamentally different mindset of understanding how the world works and interacting with that world it's as fundamental as the Copernican revolution in astronomy where the center of the universe shifted from uh, from the galaxy from the earth, uh, the earth to the sun the earth revolved around the sun rather than the sun revolving around the earth and this is a recognition that um, the firm is not the center of the universe the customer is the center of the universe and the firm is on the periphery trying to interact with the uh, all-powerful customer and so that's a, a fundamentally different mindset and uh, so uh, <laughs> Making that transition um, is uh, is a challenge. In some organizations, uh, uh, it's happened quite quickly. Some, of course, were born agile. Um, and uh, Riot Games and uh, Menlo Innovations and and the uh, uh, I mean Facebook and uh, and uh, Amazon uh, have been kind of born agile. So their their challenge is how do they stop? sliding back into uh, traditional management. But the, the organizations which have been around for a long time, like Microsoft and Barclays and, uh, and Ericsson, have a huge challenge because managers have spent their whole careers uh, successfully uh, running the organization um, in the old way with control and top-down and telling people what to do. and. Uh, uh, taking advantage of customers, all of those things were hugely uh, financially successful in the 20th century. And the realization that none of that is going to work anymore is a huge shock. When I was listening uh, to the uh, uh, Agility Hackathon, <laughs> McKinsey has organized a global uh, Agility Hackathon as it's trying to understand what uh, agility is about and uh, uh, thousands of people have subscribed. So I subscribed and there's some interesting presentations. And uh, one of them was actually a pretty good uh, presentation on what it means to become an agile organization. And when he finished, the McKinsey partner said, well, if that's what it involves, it sounds to me like a, a triple root canal operation. <laughs> and that's going to be the reaction of some uh, managers to this. Some will take to it like a Dr. Water. Some will, let me see examples of um, one manager we came across who really spent about nine months. I mean, a really smart guy. I mean, been, had a couple of decades of management experience and uh, he had a couple of agile coaches that for nine months, uh, he just couldn't seem to get it. He couldn't, his just whole way of looking at the world uh, and so he would propose something to the coach uh, and say, suppose I did this. And the coach would say, well, you could do that, but that would make things really bad. Uh, and then he would think some more and 
propose something else, um, the coach would say, well, you could do that too, but that would make it even worse. And uh, so that went on for about nine months until he went on vacation and uh, uh, took with him a whole pile of books and, and read the books, including book on radical management. And suddenly it dawned on him what the whole thing was about. And so he immediately emailed the coach and said, so, well, suppose I did A, B, C, and D. And coach said, right, now you've got it. Now you don't need me anymore. And so this is about a, a different mindset, a different way of looking at the world. And some people get it instantly. Some people might take months or even years, and some people may never get it. Uh, and uh, so it's uh, this is going to be the challenge as we look at these big old organizations. Uh, and those that are able to make the transition will survive, and those that don't uh, will just have a very difficult time as they slowly or quickly die. What are, what are some of the key challenges that act as impediments to an organization's uh, journey to agility? <laughs> well, as I, you have the, the whole history of uh, management goals and principles and practices and systems, uh, all of which are geared to uh, um, an obsolete set of management practices. And so uh, the, the challenge is, where do you start? And uh, all of that backlog will eventually have to be dealt with. But you don't start on day one. You look, I mean, I think that the sequence in Microsoft is probably uh, likely to be the one that's most uh, successful. In other words, you took, uh, you had one guy <laughs> experimenting back in 2008 in one team. Uh, seeing that what they were doing wasn't working, so started experimenting with Agile and Scrum. And then he persuaded a, a couple of teams to experiment. And then in 2010, um, they, he, there was an official mandate that uh, the whole of the Visual Studio division, sort of 35 teams, were now officially uh, pursuing Agile and Scrum. And a year later, 2011, announced that the whole developer division uh, 4,000 people was now officially uh, doing Agile and Scrum. And 2014, the decision was made, well, why don't we have the whole organization move in this direction? So now there's a mandate to carry it out across the whole organization, going at different speeds. And, uh, but it, it's, uh, if they had attempted to do this on day one, uh, I, the, I mean, uh, my counterpart there, Aaron Bjork, uh, said it, it would have been a, a revolution, would have been a, a would have ground to a halt immediately. Uh, so they took it step by step. They didn't have start out with a big reorganization. They didn't start out with uh, um, knocking down all the walls. Um, I mean, that happened kind of organically. Over time, people started to ask themselves, well, why do we have these silos which are getting in the way of doing the work? Why don't we remove some of them and so they were removed and i mean organization change is never easy but uh, it happened organically and people could see the point of it and when they changed the office space uh, so that everybody working in team rooms including the senior vice presidents uh, working in the same mobile desks as six by two mobile desks as everybody else uh, if they'd try that on day one, it would have been uh, an uprising. But uh, by the time 
they got around to doing it around 2014. Everybody could see, well, these these physical workspaces getting in the way of doing work. Where do we have our stand-up? There's no, not enough places to have meetings. Um, and so it, it would happen organically. So my, my guess is that is the way it will normally happen. You do have examples where it happened kind of top-down. Um, I mean, Salesforce is the most uh, quoted example where there was an organization decision to do it on uh, sort of from day one. But at, at the time, I mean, that was 2006 and Salesforce was only seven years old. So it wasn't exactly a, a big old organization and uh, they could still remember their startup roots. And, um, and they already had one team that was already operating that way. And they took a lot of time and care to explain uh, what it was they were introducing and why they were introducing it and discussing it in a very open and agile kind of way. So it was done in a, in a fairly delicate fashion, but it was top down um, and there was opposition. Some teams kind of pretended to do it, uh, but didn't really, but eventually everybody saw this is actually a better way. So it, it happened, but that kind of big bang approach is in most organizations is probably not going to be the way to do it. And uh, uh, but we'll see over time, um, hoping that it will spring up from the bottom and that uh, you just have teams at the bottom uh, doing it and eventually people will see that it's better. Uh, that won't happen unless you eventually get uh, top management support. I mean, in, in Microsoft, it took a couple of years to get the top management support, but eventually they got it. And without that support, as uh, Aaron would uh, <laughs> always admit, I mean, they couldn't possibly have done what they've done. So uh, it, it's not uh, ultimately top down or bottom up. It's a combination of both. It's amazing to hear that story because um, I'm trying to think about six years ago or so when Microsoft was taking a very top down approach with Windows 8 and their president, Stephen Sanofsky, they had a mass exodus and Microsoft was really left for dead on the side of the road by Apple and Google and everyone else. And it's no coincidence that now that there's new leadership there and they're taking the approach that you've described and the journey that you've just described, now everyone's talking about Microsoft again. And Microsoft apparently is a cool place now. And organically, you said it's been growing, but now they're also attracting younger talent and, and people who, are, who share these values as opposed to going and poaching people from IBM or the other old places that would have brought in those old waterfall and, and those types of approaches. So it's, it's validation for everything you're saying. And I'd like to say that if organizations like Microsoft of the past were dying and left on the side of the road, and agile and this concept of an agile organization is the cure, what are some areas where agile has not gone yet that it needs to go, maybe outside of even business? I mean, one person told us they, they saw agile training at a soup kitchen, right, to bring those values in. Are there any areas outside where agile hasn't gone yet that it needs to go, maybe the nonprofit sector or government and things like that? Well, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned government. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, obviously government is, um, and uh, all the public sector organizations are really the last uh, to adopt management innovation. Typically, they wait until uh, the private sector has uh, adopted it in a major way. And because the private sector hasn't explicitly adopted it in places like Harvard Business Review, I mean, uh, the public sector has still really not gotten it. So they, uh, there are, uh, as in private sector, there are islands of excellence, uh, lots of agile teams throughout government, 
but has has government become agile as as a whole? No, it hasn't, and that that's huge huge area where uh, where gains need to be made. And uh, obviously, non-governmental organizations, some of those are the worst. Uh, <laughs> I mean, organizations like the World Bank that are still uh, huge top-down bureaucracies, and uh, they could be run with a fraction of the staff that they have and be much more productive if they became agile. But um, they simply haven't uh, even begun that journey in the World Bank. Um, and uh, so those, that would be the biggest area. I think when you're talking about the private sector, soup kitchens or, uh, uh, I mean, clothing, you have Zara. And uh, so pretty much every sector you can find examples now of, of um, uh, agile uh, practices becoming just the way in, in which uh, things are done. I'm, I mean, a well-run restaurant is, is almost inherently and naturally agile. You can't can't really run it. Yeah, I mean, just sit there and watch. I was in a, a field at Amari, a big fancy restaurant in Washington uh, a couple of days ago, and just sitting there looking at it. And you could see that um, there were the agile practices, uh, total focus on the customer, delivering value to customer, time was vital, um, and uh, impediments were identified and removed. I mean, <laughs> this, was, uh, this was the agile world. Uh, if you'd asked them, are you practicing agile management? Of course, they would have said, never heard of it. Uh, but um, there they were doing it. So um, a, a company like Zara, similarly, is, um, has been agile for 20 or 30 years. And, uh, and it's taken over the world. And fast fashion is now dominated by a, um, these firms which are operating in this way and the big old um, uh, traditionally managed firms are being put out of business. So this is this is no longer just something in software. This is spreading and has spread throughout the whole world, which hasn't got the recognition. I think we're going to get to a tipping point at some point where people will suddenly wake up. Aha! This is this is the way you manage, and it, and it will stop being agile management. It will simply be management. This is the way you manage. This is the way you run a. An, an intelligent organization in the 21st century. And that discussion leads perfectly into our capstone question, which is about where Agile is going or the name of our podcast, Agile Next. So in your mind, looking into the future, what's next for Agile in the Agile world and the Agile community? Well, it's um, uh, taking over the world. <laughs> it's uh, world domination. Um is uh, the next step. I mean, the, the practices at the team level are well established. We are um, practices of agile transformation of the whole organization are becoming clearer. Um, and um, the next step is to get recognition that this is the way to run an organization so that um, Harvard Business Review will be dominated by articles uh, uh, condemning shareholder value and uh, and uh, talking about how agile organizations are running the world. Or maybe Harvard Business Review will be disrupted by the Agile Business Review. <laughs> could be. Uh, or, the Denning, or the Denning Business yeah, Review. Could be. But uh, I mean, in some of these old uh, organizations have a lot of brand um, value, uh, which is hard to dislodge. And so uh, forming alliance with them Alliances with them is probably going to be more 
uh, effective than trying to put them out of business. But some of them will some of them will vanish. Um, uh, but um, in the in the short run, uh, it's important that uh, one works with them rather than against them. As we look out over the landscape of the rest of 2016, Steve, what what does it look like for you? What do you have planned in terms of talks and and possibly projects you're working on and so on? Well, I have a new book uh, coming out. Uh, the publication date still being uh, talked about, but it's called The Dumbest Idea in the World, um, Why the Biggest Idea in Business is the Worst and uh, what, How to Fix It. Uh, and uh, it's about um, these obstacles to implementing Agile, particularly this focus on shareholder value as reflected in the stock price and just documenting what a terrible, terrible idea that is and the noxious consequences it has and the way that it prevents organizations from becoming agile and then showing how organizations have overcome these obstacles and what it, uh, what it involves and how to do it and step by step. So that's, that's one big project. Um, also uh, leading the learning consortium uh, for the creative economy, which will be uh, this group of firms that are learning from each other how to conduct agile transformation. And uh, uh, this year, in addition to uh, going deeper into Microsoft and Ericsson and Riot Games, we'll be looking at a couple of new firms, Micro, uh, uh, Barclays and BMW and uh, Spotify and Sonar. And uh, uh, so that will be a, a major undertaking. I'll be reporting on that and presenting that to the Drucker Forum uh, later in the year. And that's uh, a second uh, big set of activities. And also, uh, we have a, a series of... Um, webinars uh, been doing um, uh, with uh, uh, last year we had Roger Martin and uh, Gary Hamill uh, talking about um, these issues and uh, we hope to have um, uh, other notable speakers later this year. Uh, uh, Clayton Christensen has agreed in principle uh, to join us and uh, John Hagel will be talking next week, actually next Wednesday about disruption and then uh, uh, Kurt Carlson, the former CEO of um, SRI, Stanford Research Institute, which invented Siri, the, uh, the, the gadget on your, uh, your iPhone. He'll be talking about how to change an organizational culture. So that's uh, an exciting series. And all of those webinars are recorded and you can, be, can find them on the Scrum Alliance website. Uh, so those are three uh, major uh, activities underway, in addition to my continuing to write articles on Forbes, where I've written over 700 articles since 2011 and uh, continue to write them at uh, one or two articles a week. And uh, so that's a continuing source of uh, information and insight about uh, how this whole uh, world domination is coming about. Steve, uh, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Next week on Agile Next, we have Zach Sapala from Particle IO talking to us about the lean hardware movement and how Agile methodologies fit in. It is surely a unique take on Agile and where it's heading next. Hope to see you then. A big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at frescocapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at apple-brook.com. We hope to see you next week on Agile Next.
In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv.